This is Deep Natter. A few nights ago, I got to go see Jacob Collier live, who I was introduced to by Sean a couple years ago. Now, if you've never heard of Jacob or heard his music, he is an absolute genius who's able to play pop, jazz, classical, you name it. And his list of fans include people like Quincy Jones, Herbie Hancock, Hans Zimmer. In this episode, we're talking about not just Jacob and his music, but also some of the things we can take away from him and apply to our own art making. Plus, as we teased in the last episode, we're talking about some of our favorite album cover art. Here we go. Hey, uh, speaking of sound and audio, Apple released for, we, uh, we are recording this on the 4th of May, so it's the Star Wars Day, May the 4th be with you, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Apple released a new little mini documentary. It's only about 16, 17 minutes long. It's called Behind the Mac Skywalker Sound. Oh, cool. And it's just talking to sound designers at Skywalker who have worked on Star Wars, Jurassic Park, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it's so good. It's so oh. audio nerdy. <laughs> it's really it's awesome. on YouTube. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. And they did something quite interesting with the the production of it. The interviews are all in black and white, and they go to color for the clips from the movies, but everything else is black and white. And I, I, I wasn't sure about it at first, but I really like that yeah. choice. It's an interesting choice. I'll have to see that because I've seen other people do the same sort of thing, and it just feels a little gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Like they were trying to lift the quality of the interview or separate it somehow, but it just jarred. I'm, I'm keen to see that. Yeah. Well, I mean, they would do it well. Yeah. And they talked to, at one point, they talked to one of the archivists and, and he was he was showing one of the screens from the cataloging software and there's like 730,000 sounds in their library <laughs> that they've mm. created. Good grief. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's really cool. I'll have to check that out. But the 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 thing I really want to know, yeah, is how is the gig? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. So last night we went to see Jacob Collier, and uh, we took I'm Sylvia. So jealous. Yeah, I'm we so took jealous. Sylvia. It was her second concert that she'd ever been to, and it was at the Nine Thirty Club in DC. And uh, you you were you were very you were very missed at at this gig. Oh. But I'll tell you, this guy, he's not from this planet. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> he really is not from this planet. It, he was doing things that I just, sonically, I just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. There were a few times, there was one song that he was playing, and I'm, I'm not hugely familiar with his music, so full disclosure, I'm not, I'm a fan of him, but I wouldn't call myself a fan of his music because I don't know enough about it. But what I have heard has always blown me away, right? Mm-hmm. And he was playing this song on an acoustic guitar, and you don't... The kid just, he can play anything. Yeah, yeah. Jazz, classical, pop, you know, bass guitar, acoustic guitar, piano, all sorts of, I mean, it's just incredible. So he's playing this song, and I don't, I don't know what song it is. I'm sorry, I'll look it up. But uh, brought me to tears. Mm. It was so beautiful. What we were listening to, what we were seeing, the energy that was coming from him, I just teared up. And, and slow, just Slow song? Yeah. Is it, called, is it Hideaway? Um, maybe, is that an acoustic guitar song? He starts on acoustic guitar with like a lot of noodly stuff and then he'll start yes. singing, but like it al- yes. always makes me cry, that song. Yeah, that, then that, that's probably album, what yeah. it was. Oh, so good. Yeah. So good. 
and equal, honestly, to his talent was the band. Mm -hmm. Incredible musicians, all of them. And, and what he did was something, and you've seen this other bands, he's not the first to do this, but he gave everyone their time in the sun. It wasn't mm -hmm. just the Jacob Collier show, even though it was a Jacob Collier show. He gave everyone a chance to shine and a chance to, to, to be front and center and, and was so gracious and so appreciative. And I, I tweeted out something this morning. I, I've, I've been to more than 200, I would say, conservatively concerts. Mm. And I've never, ever seen somebody go beyond introducing the band to introduce by name the house people, the crew, yep. sound designer, lighting designer, mixing desk people, the merch guy, all by name, so appreciative, so thankful. And it was just, it was really cool for those people to be acknowledged as well. Yeah. Um, and he uses these two instruments. There's a keyboard that he uses that apparently is the only one in the world that exists. It was designed and built for him. MIT, yeah. And the guy who designed and built it was in the audience. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ben, yeah. Uh, and then he has this other thing called a harmonium harmonia i don't harmonizer. know yeah. is it a harmonizer okay it's it's like is a it? it's like a pedal steel kind of a thing where you play it horizontally oh no 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 i know it's called a harpagee that thing harpagee yeah, that's what, what it is yeah. that's what it is yeah the guy who designed and built that was in the audience yeah 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 uh and he acknowledged them by name and and you know put a spotlight on them and you know stand up take about kind of thing and it was just it was really it, there was nothing about it that we didn't like yeah. Nothing. And I, I don't know how it happened, but apparently we were on uh, we were on the artist list somehow with the tickets and we got to right. go in first before everybody else, um, which was kind of cool. I don't, again, I don't know how that happened, um, but it did. And we were grateful for it. Uh, he played about an hour and a half and he was doing two shows. So he did an early show. We went to the early show and then they cleared the room and he came back for another set and did wow. another show. But man, absolutely incredible. You have to, if, if you, if you can see him, go see him. And I sent you a link earlier. He's playing June 20th at, uh, the O2 Academy. I don't know if that's close to you. I think that's in London, right? It's in London. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but man, if you can see him, he is, he is just a beast. He is just, yeah. and it, there was so much joy in him. Yeah. That, yeah. that was the other thing is this boundless not just not just creative energy, but the energy to share what he had and was creating with an audience was absolutely palpable. You could feel his joy moving through him out into us. One of the things that always makes me like really emotional when I watch videos of his gigs, and this is what I want to check with you, is he'll often have a section in, in, in his show where he'll get different parts of the audience singing different notes and direct them, like Absolutely. orchestrate them. Yep, yeah, he did that. And that, that harmonizing between sections of the audience that he's just doing with hand motions, what amazes mm -hmm. me about mm -hmm. that is he's, okay, just to say up front, like mo most of his audiences are brilliant musicians. So that's pro probably helps. But yeah. the fact that he doesn't need to key anyone up or teach them how to harmonize or explain what they're about to do he literally just walks in, he'll sing a note to one section, sing a note to another section, sing a note to another section, get them to hold it. 
and then swell one side, drop the other side. And then he'll get them, he'll just lift his hand and they know to move up, up a note, down a note, and then harmonize in the audience. He plays the audience. Yeah. And for me, there's something proper spiritual about that. Like 100%. It gives me absolute goosebumps. What was 100%. Like? It was incredible. It was, that was one of the, there were three moments in that, in the show last night where I was brought to tears and that was one of the other ones. And it mm-hmm. was just, it was church. You could, you could feel this, this thing. And it, it was, it was funny. He asked at the beginning of the show, he asked how many people, uh, were ever in a band mm-hmm. and, or, or ever played an instrument. And I would say maybe 80 to 85% of the people in the yeah. audience raised their hands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, people who understand what he's doing. It was just <laughs> amazing. And yes, he yeah. played the audience and then he went back to, to this keyboard thing and played that. And he did, mm. oh, he did, he did a version of Blackbird as an encore uh, oh. that was, I, I don't even know how to describe it because I, 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 again, it was one of those things, right? I don't know what I was watching. I know it was Blackbird, but it was such an incredibly unique interpretation yeah. of that song that it, it could easily stand on its own in the same way that moon river, which he played, uh, on the piano oh, with yeah, the crowd yeah. singing along and, and, ugh, it was amazing. It was amazing. This is, that's an interesting one. Cause I, I think that Jacob Collier is like, I mean, he's just something different, isn't he? He's so, yeah. he's so new, unique and pushing things so far. But I don't think he's for many people because I don't think many people, I think he's, he's too busy. There's too much going on for most people who just want to listen to some music. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass her and say who she is because she might be listening. But, but I played, I played um, a version of his version of his acapella version, which he won a Grammy for. I mean, who wins a Grammy for an acapella arrangement of an old song? Right. I mean, that's just unheard of. Right. Um, but I, I played an acapella his acapella version of Moon River, which is so complex in how it's put together and so clever and intricate. He's using microtonal key changes, not key changes. I mean, most musicians can do that. He doesn't, he doesn't, he can't, you can't play what he sings on a piano because those notes don't exist. He's, he's playing with, you know, 40 cents below key here and then switching to 35 cents in the next. It's, it's so crazy how, how finely, um, arrange that piece is it, no one does that yeah but I played I played it to this this person that they, they were like no I hate it I hate it I like the original I hate it and it was like a visceral reaction I, I hate it I don't turn it off turn it off I don't like it and it was just really interesting to me like uh, this this like this isn't for a lot of people yeah it, it just it just sounds like too complicated a noise and I, I wonder if like somebody like him is ever tempted to make simpler music to get popular. Do you know what I mean? Instead of like the fact that he's playing probably, I mean, I'm get, I'm going to guess there were a thousand, 2000 people at this show. Uh, the, the venue holds, yes. I think max capacity is 1200 and yeah. it was just about that. If it yeah. may be a little less, but yeah, it was pretty close. But, but, and he, he is just, just to, to I mean, to, to show you how, what a big deal this guy is, this guy who's in his mid twenties yeah. is, the first British artist of all time to win Grammys for his first four albums in a row. Not even the Beatles did that. Wow. I didn't know that. He's the first British artist to win Grammys three years in a row. He's in his mid-twenties. Like, 
that you don't get bigger music chops than this guy. And yet he's only he's only filling smaller venues like this and touring around the country because most he's not accessible to most people. And I just I find that so impressive. Do you know I watched I watched um, this documentary on BBC? I told you it was just released uh, the other night, just before mm-hmm, you went. Mm-hmm. So I watched it yesterday, and uh, about him. And it was interesting because uh, um, Quincy Jones got hold of him. Basically, he put out a track online. I think it was a cover of Stevie Wonder's "Don't Wor- Don't You Worry About a Thing" um, on YouTube, and he was in his teens at the time. And Everyone sent it to Quincy because they thought it was amazing. And he picked this up. And then he started, when he had meetings with the, the world's best artists, you know, he had Paul McCartney in a conference room. He's like, before we start the meeting, I have to play you this kid. Like, and he'd be wow. doing this with everybody because he really? was so excited about it. Yeah. And then slowly, you know, they, they started talking and they met him. He came through for, uh, for, for the uh, Montreux Jazz Festival in Switzerland the one year mm-hmm. and met him. And then the following year, I mean, that, that festival, he brought him up on stage and like got him to play a bit as well. He didn't even know he was going to be doing that, but he just got up and did some stuff. And then after that, Quincy said, we want to sign you. We want to get you on board as manage, uh, like, let me manage you. And Jacob, I mean, at this point, he's maybe 19, turned around and said, do you know what? I don't think I should. And I didn't realize, I thought Quincy was his manager. He's actually not. Wow. He said no to Quincy Jones. And he said no because he said, he said, I'm not sure what I'd be. And I'm worried someone will try and make me be a thing. He said, I'm not, I don't want to be jazz, Jacob. I don't want to be like fronting rock band, Jacob. I don't want to be pop producer, Jacob. I don't want to be classical pianist, Jacob. I just want to play as far and wide as I can. And I worry I'd let people down if I try and sit in a box and just do one thing, especially wow. myself. And I'm like that, I can't, I can't respect that more. Yeah. Like the fact that he's willing to write the stuff he wants to write and he doesn't care whether it gets radio play or he plays auditoriums or arenas or whatever. He, he's going to play to his crowd who know and, and couldn't appreciate him more, but it's always going to be a smaller group. The integrity of that at that age and, and, the self-knowledge and, and like the guts you have to have to back yourself, but not think you're anything special and still have the humility he does. Yeah. It's just, he is so unique to me that I, I mean, I, mean, I could talk about this kid for days. He's, he's, he's incredible. Yeah. Just incredible. Yeah. It, I mean, and there, you're exactly right. There were, I mean, again, I don't know a lot of his songs. I know two or three, four tops, but the people in the audience, knew every lyric to every tune mm-hmm. and they were they were absolutely his thousand true fans mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know yeah. and and i think that i think you're right in that jacob is one of those types of artists who is not afraid to demand a little more from his audience from his listeners yeah. i'm not gonna i'm not i'm gonna give you the best that i can do but i'm not gonna make it easy for you Yes. You're going to have to come with me on this. You're going to have to trust. You're going to have to dig a little deeper into yourself to understand what I'm doing. But I promise you, if you will do that, you're going to have a good time. And I love that. I love, like you said, I love that, that, that sort of belief in I'm going to do the things and I'm going to put the thing out into the world that I want to hear. I'm going to work with the people that I want to work with. And if I get you know, play on BBC One or, you know, whatever the big station is here in the U.S., great. If not, that's okay, too, because the people that need me will find me. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, he treats his, I think that's it, isn't it? He treats his audience like adults. 
There's no dumbing down to, to be as accessible as possible. He's going to do the thing he loves at his level, even if most people won't get it. Yeah. Because it's because he knows how special that is. And so do musicians. Know yeah. How special that is. A hundred percent. And in that in that way, I would absolutely put him in the category of people like Miles Davis or Charlie Parker or Prince who. Yes. Yeah. Played and did the music. They, they made the music that they wanted to make and wanted to hear. And if you don't understand it, it kind of gets back to that John Mayer discussion we had a few weeks back. Yes. If you don't understand it, that's on you. That's not on me. If you don't <laughs> like it, that's on you. That's not on me. Yeah. You know, and what, you know, what a, what a joy to, to watch somebody who has come to terms with that level of bravery, that level of confidence, that level of certainty that what they're doing is exactly what they should be doing in that moment. Yeah. Man. If we could all get there, if we could all get close to that, imagine the art that would be made. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This documentary is really worth a watch, actually. It's on BBC iPlayer for those in the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's called The Room Where It Happened. Is the, oh, is that's the clever. You know, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because um, he started out in his bedroom, right? That was where everything... He's, he's still there. He's he still there. Wow, this, is, wow. this is the other thing. Is he, everything is still in that one room. Like wow. he must be making decent money now, but he doesn't. You, you would think, out. wouldn't you? You know, he's just at home. He's, he, he, you know, he comes back from tour. His mom does his laundry, settles in, and starts, you know, producing for some of the world's biggest artists at his desk in his room. It's just wow. mad. And the the stories, like, there's an amazing uh, clip in there of because basically the story is like when he did his first album, he did it in Logic, mm -hmm. and. Then he needed a desk where they could, it was some, some piece of software and hardware together where you could, you could basically take all those tracks in Logic that could read Logic, take them all out, externalize them, and then put it into a mixing desk so you could mix and master properly. So he went to LA to do this. And the only person who had that particular desk they needed to do this was Hans Zimmer. Oh, so, wow. Wow. So, so Hans like let him use his studio space and you've got this amazing footage of um apparently quincy jones and herbie hancock knew he was doing this obviously because this is the thing as well quincy and jacob still had this amazing relationship because they said well you know i'm not going to manage you or whatever but let's just say we're friends that's our relationship and they just he, they just help him as much as they can quincy wow. jones and his team they just do it because they believe in him you know and he's in this he's in this he's in hans zimmer's studio in walk Quincy Jones and Herbie Hancock, they plonk themselves down on the sofa and there's this really cool footage of them, him playing them stuff and them losing their minds, like, like super fans, like Herbie Hancock, wow. going, what is that chord? Like you just blew my <laughs> mind, like absolutely freaking out. Just like, no, what did you, no, play that again. Like absolutely freaking out. And it's just amazing to watch. And then when he's leaving, basically bumping into Hans Zimmer, like on the way out and Hans going, like, oh yeah, I, you know, hope that was helpful. You could use space, you know, anytime you want to do, oh, by the way, do you want to do a movie? <laughs> and then, what? And oh then Jacob's gosh. scoring a movie with Hans Zimmer. Like it's wow. just, this, this, that just doesn't happen with kids like that. You know I mean? Yeah. There's, lots, there's lots of like artists, I think, who are young, who people can tell that they, they're saleable, you know, they've got a cool look. They've got a cool personality. They're very quirky in interviews and media. They can write a nice song. They've got a good voice. They put, it, they put them with the right producers and then they can produce stuff that's, you know, just those earworms that have really good radio play and put together these fancy shows and lights and dances. And like that stuff is super sellable. And it's very easy 
for a producer or a manager or whatever to identify those people and go, we can make some money out of these people. Yeah. But I'm, I just love this story, which is a kid. They're going, we would have no idea how to make money out of this kid. Although I'm sure he is, but oh my gosh, we have to protect and nurture this talent because this is more than a once in a generation talent. This is a kid who comes around every 400 years, you know, since like Mozart or something. This is, this is like another level kid and we have to do whatever we can for all our sakes to, to give this kid a space to do everything he can do to bring us all along with him yeah. because he's discovering stuff. Yeah. You know, I just, I love it. I think it's just. Coming so out on stage in his pajama bottoms and mismatched socks. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know. So funny. Uh, I mean, like, honestly, is, it looks like he so, just rolled out of bed and he was like, all yeah, right, let's do this. Either in barefoot or Crocs. With yeah. like baggy pajama pants on and spiky hair. Like he's just yeah. an absolute child. And I, I think this is what you sounded like uh, you, you picked up as well. And some of the stuff you said is like, like music just lives in this kid. Like it's, it's such a part of him. You know, I, I saw a thing on, uh, I think it was Scottish radio, but they, they filmed it as well and put it on their YouTube channel where he's playing live on the radio. Okay. Which for most musicians are like, Oh gosh, I hope I don't screw this. I hope I don't screw this up. He decided at the end of that set, they're only doing like three songs. And the last one, he's like, he just starts playing Fields of Gold, Sting. Mm. But like the most, again, like you're, it sounds like the version of Blackbird he played. It's just this like next level version, this take on it that you just have never heard and could never think of. Just completely turns it into his own thing. And at the end of the song, he's like, oh, that was Fields of Gold, you know, Sting, just my little take on it. Um, I've never actually played it before. I just thought I'd give it a go. Like live on radio. <laughs> and you're like, like, music has to live in you to do that. Right. Like no one right. does that. Yeah. I just, yeah, I could, I could, I just want to see where he goes. He's one of those rare artists. You want to see where he goes, what he does, because whatever it is, it will be fascinating. And he'll do it on his own terms because he doesn't know another way. Yeah. You know? And I think he's so far ahead of the game that he knows that to do, to fit into any kind of mold he kill all that growth instantly. He has to leave it as wide open as is physically possible. Well, didn't, I think maybe even you were the one who told me about this. Didn't he, he, he's putting together four albums at once and each yeah. album has a different vibe style yes. genre, but he's, he's writing and performing them all simultaneously. Well, yeah. So, so at the moment, his first album was in my room, which is mm-hmm. where he played everything and did the room. And then he's got Jesse Volume One, Two, Three, and Four. So Jesse right. Volume One was an orchestral album he put out. Jesse Volume Two is an acoustic album. Jesse Volume Three is kind of more of a nighttime pop album, R and B, which almost which he was nominated for Album of the Year with the Grammys, which is insane for this kid. Again, because only a couple of the tracks got radio play. And then Jesse Volume 4 is still to be released, but that's going to be basically a, a bringing it all together. Acoustic, yeah. orchestral, and pop into one thing at the end. And he says, it. I'm just writing this stuff because I have to get out. I have to explore as far and wide as I possibly can. And he, he'll take like, you know, there's there's some samba tracks in there. He's gone to tribes in the mm-hmm, middle of Africa mm-hmm. and recorded their style. Mm-hmm. You could hear a lot of those influences in the in some of the tracks last night. Yeah, Th- there is no limit to where he's going to pull um, influences from in terms of his his uh, his musical styles because he wants to try a bit of everything because every little bit he learns from somebody else or somewhere else, some other culture, unlocks another piece of his own music, and he's just a, a sponge. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And how, how amazing to, to apply some of this to, regardless of if you're listening to this, regardless of whether you 
express yourself with a camera or a paintbrush or a typewriter or a computer, like whatever it is. I think there is something to learn from Collier himself and from the, the journey that he's on in, in terms of how he is, as Sean just said, absorbing and, and sort of filtering all this stuff through him and sending it out into the world as something else. And it may be recognizable and it may not be. I mean, I'll give you mine straight away for him is like, is like that, that thing I said earlier, like the fact that he doesn't care if what he makes is popular, he leaves things as wide open as possible to explore mm-hmm. as widely as possible because his own growth as an artist comes first and foremost is something I've learned from him. Yeah. You know, do I, do I take photographs because I want instant Instagram attention or do I take the photographs I want to take, even if I don't really understand, but I give myself permission to explore as wide as possible. And I'm, I'm no genius. Like he's a proper genius in his, in his whatever, but the, the principle still applies. Don't lock yourself in and chase the attention because you'll make what you do smaller every time because you'll be trying to hack a specific algorithm to, to get the public's attention for a very small amount of time. That's all you're doing. Mm-hmm. Instead of going, how, how much could I develop myself over my life if I played as widely as I possibly could? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't, I, I can't add anything to that, <laughs> as is often the case with you. I, I love listening to interviews with him as well, because all this stuff is, is he's worked out so much already, you know, yeah, he's, yeah. he's just a million miles ahead, not just musically, but just in terms of artistic, the artistic life, he's worked out so much so early. And he's um, so and, grateful. And, That's what I kept coming yeah, back to last yeah. night when he was talking about the band. And, and I, 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 I can't believe that I get to work with these people. I can't believe that, that she's singing on my band. It, it, I, I don't even believe it. I can't. And he was just so overcome with gratitude introducing mm. these people. And at, it, it, you're mid tw- twenties. I mean, they're all young come on. as well, aren't they? Uh, seem to be. Yeah. Seem to yeah. be. Yeah. It's just yeah. incredible. Absolutely incredible. While we're on uh, music, if you're happy to switch gears, do you want to do you want to do your favorite album covers from from last? Oh yeah, we yeah because we got we, a, a, we we teased that little message from from Tom. Yeah, the, <laughs> there are the standards, right? There, there. Uh, I'm you interested to see what you got. Rather than album covers, I look at creators of albums, like the artists behind them, and a yeah. couple of them were mentioned by Tom um, Hugh Syme, who famously mm-hmm. created all the Rush album covers. Uh, he also did, you know, Whitesnake and Aerosmith and like a mm. ton of different stuff. Uh, I love his work. Uh, Roger Dean, who did all of, well, not all, but most of the Yes album covers. Um, uh-huh. Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, Howe, um, uh, all the covers for Asia, uh, if you've seen any of those covers, which again, like Tom, I found myself, especially back in the day, wanting to inhabit those kinds of worlds, wanting to walk through that that incredible gatefold for tales from topographic oceans by yes, where you've got, you know, rocks and fish swimming in the air and like these Mm -hmm. worlds, these environments that these guys Mm -hmm. created. Um, there was a, a, a a duo. Um, Oh my God. Uh, Stanley Miller, he went by mouse, Mm -hmm. uh, and Alton Kelly, they did like the journey album covers, um, a lot of the Grateful Dead album covers. So these really beautiful, intricate paintings. Um, Reed Miles, of course, from, uh, from Blue Note fame. Um, uh, who else? Oh, uh, there's a photographer called Storm Thurgeson mm. who worked with a company in the UK. Well, all of it's UK because you guys have way better artists than we do. <laughs> oh, controversial. <laughs> uh, so uh, there was a comp- the company, the design agency was called Hypnosis, 
and the photographer was Storm Thurgeson, and they did uh, both both together and separately work for Yes, for Peter Gabriel, the Pink Floyd record covers. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, 10CC, uh, some really iconic stuff. And the cool thing with Storm, uh, if like if you see like the Division Bell, for example, those two big uh, metal sort of face shaped statues kind yes, of facing yeah, yeah, each yeah. other. Those yeah. weren't CG and they weren't little scale models made to look big. All that stuff was built to scale. It yeah. was built at scale. There's another cover that's, uh, it's a tree and the branches look like a silhouette of a face. That's not CG. That's not Photoshop. They had an arborist come and trim this tree so that the silhouette would look like a face and they photographed it. Um, so a lot of this stuff was practical and it wasn't, you know, some, some sort of CG trickery. Um, did he do Dark Side of the Moon cover as well? Yes. Yeah. 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 Was it, was that, was that not CG? That, that was, was painted. He was, that right, wasn't, painted. that was art. They were, he, uh, hypnosis art directed that. And I can't remember who did, um, the actual illustration for it. Um, I'd have to look it up. I don't remember. Um, Vaughn Oliver and Chris Big who uh, uh, they did a lot of the 4AD covers, uh, like mm. the, the Pixies and Ex Mal Deutschland and Cocteau Twins and, you know, like Throwing Muses, like a lot of these really sort of dark, edgy uh, record sleeves for, for 4AD. Um, mm. God, who, uh, what else are on my favorite list? Oh, uh, the Roxy Music covers. I love those covers. Mm. Yeah, because it, as, a, as a teenager, as a young teenager, I mean, God, go look at the, the album cover for Country Life. You know, you've got these two German girls standing there in, you know, bra and panties. Uh, it, it was provocative, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I, so I love those covers. Um, God, what else? Um, oh, uh, the, the Springsteen cover for Born to Run. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that was shot by a guy called Eric Miola, uh, who's mm-hmm. a terrific photographer. Now does a lot of landscapes, and I th- the art director was a guy called John Berg, and he worked on stuff for Dylan and you know Chicago and Sly and the Family Stone and like some really really big, you know, uh, um, covers. Um, gosh, what else? Oh, well, uh, Sergeant Pepper, of course. I mean, that's an incredible cover. Yeah. Um, fun fact, that cover at the time, um, I think I I read it cost either $3,000 or $5,000 to do that cover then. But now the equivalent would be like $50,000 to create that, that that photograph. So, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, those are some of mine. What about you? Oh, mine's a small list. I mean, we've got, we've got some crossover, some Pink Floyd and Sergeant Pepper. You know, I, I've had my mom stay this week and uh, I asked her the question, like, what was your favorite album cover? And she said, she said the White Album, just because... Classic. To, because back in the day, she said it was such a talking point. Mm-hmm. The fact that the Beatles put out, and it, because it wasn't called the White Album when it came out initially. It was literally just a white square, but like it was, everyone called it the white album because it didn't have a name that they right. just put it out like that. So because it was, you couldn't get more simple or minimalist. She said that she can't remember many album covers causing such a stir and a talking point, um, which I think is, is quite cool. Yeah. I um, love that. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, photograph, cause I was thinking like photographs as well, like which photographs and I'm starting to think about the, the, like the most copied photographs from album covers, Abbey Road, I think. Yeah. I mean, any time I walk past 
um, that area of St. John's Wood in, in London. Like everyone knows it's a pain in the ass <laughs> driving through there because you have to, everyone is, is taking up that crosswalk with trying to copy that album cover. Right, right. And you can't drive through because there's people standing on the crosswalk and it's such a nightmare. All the taxi drivers know to take a different road because it'll take you an extra 10 minutes. That's funny. Um, no matter how much hooting you do with them. So I think like anytime like someone tries to copy an album cover like that, like especially in a photograph, I think that makes it fairly... Can we use iconic? Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Is this appropriate here? <laughs> like, yeah, so that, um, I mean, photographically, I reckon that one. Um, the Nirvana Nevermind cover. I just think that's one that's, I don't know why that's just stuck in my head. I was. I think most of the album covers are just ones that sort of stayed with me for some yeah. reason. They kind of burn their way into your, into your memory. So that photograph as well, I think there's another one that's probably been copied a thousand times, you know. Yeah. Everyone, everyone has a crack at that photograph. But the photograph itself just like the the Abbey Road cover, isn't isn't an amazing photograph, as in like it would take a lot of technical skill to take it or anything. I mean, they're, they're fairly simple, but they're just, something about them is just right and they stick with you and they burn their way in. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. I had Sergeant Peppers, yeah. Um, the, the, the U2 war cover with the, with the boy with the cut lip as a powerful portrait, like mm-hmm. eyes, like, I mean, again, like, not a great technical photograph. Skin's overexposed. You know, it's not really like, but like, it's such a powerful portrait, powerful image that I think that one kind of seared its way in as well at some point as a, as a photograph. Mm. Um, when, when you've got a photograph that just latches itself to a sound in your head yeah. or, or a cover that latches itself to a sound, it's done its job for me. Yeah. You know, if sometimes you can get covers that are better than their albums. I mean, I think it's easy to do probably. And vice versa as well. But like when they, when it, they sort of become one thing in your head, mm-hmm. um, the sound of that album, how strong it is with the image and everything works together. I think those, that makes a, a great yeah, album. Yeah. 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 Uh, Miles um, Davis is like that, that kind of blue cover mm-hmm. by the great Jay Maisel. Um, oh, there was also nice. another one. Was it Tutu? It was shot by Irving Penn. It's just like the, the close up of his face, black and white. Oh yeah. Rings a bell. I think it's Miles Davis Tutu. I think that's what it is. Right, right. Yeah, another one that that popped up for me again. Like, and I, it's not that I, I don't like the design of it, but it just burned its way in my memory. Is is Stevie Wonder's "Songs in the Key of Life"? Oh yeah, sure. The, the concentric orange circles mm-hmm. going out his face. Mm-hmm. But like, but like when I look at it, because I obviously went and looked it up again. Like the font is, you know, it's, it's okay, but it's also, it's, it's, it's not that well arranged. It's kind of touching some of the concentric circles. It feels a bit messy, but it's, 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 it's in my head and will never be shifted. Yeah. You know, it's, it's for some reason that's in there big time. Um, something else I thought about, and this is only because like, they're not great album covers, but they've, they're definitely in my head. I can't shift them. And there was an interesting story about them is my mom was a huge Phil Collins fan. Oh yeah. And that every there were so many Phil Collins covers that were just his face as a portrait, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like through the years. And I don't know if you know, but like recently, he actually went back and reshot all those album covers right. with with his older face. Yeah, now. as an older man. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. reading about that, and it was super cool to see. I think Petapixel might have an article mm. on it as well, so you can easily find it online. But that was really cool to see someone who went back and reproduced. Because I, I mean, that's brave to do. Like every album cover is just a portrait of your face. Yeah, sure. Is is a really sort of ballsy thing to put out there. Yeah. Um, and then one which I love just for like the just for the behind the scenes documentary about it is John Mayer's Born and Raised. Born and cover. Raised. I knew you were going to go there. That's so good, that's isn't the, it? 
It's, there's a documentary online. It's basically a, a sign writer down in Cornwall in the UK here who goes around using the old traditional sign writing techniques to put up gold lettering in pub windows and stuff yeah. like that, like yeah. old technique sign writing. And he produced an amazingly intricate cover for this Born and Raised album, um, which there's a 15 minute or something documentary on YouTube. It, I highly encourage you to go watch, even if- I'll put a link to for it. Nothing, yeah, if for nothing else than just to go and look at like a master at yeah. work. I just find that stuff mesmerizing. There's a, there's a companion documentary where he produces uh, like glass etched um, items around that, around mm. that um, album as well, which is just beautiful to watch. Yeah, Absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. David, David Adrian Smith is his name. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Very, very cool. Stuff. Oh, so, really and cool. if you go to his, I was looking at it as well, because I, I, we have talked about this both offline and on. Uh, if you go to his website and I'll, I'll I'll link to it in the show notes, uh, there are a bunch of behind the scenes sketches of him doing like the initial drawings and tracing paper uh, Mm. sketches for this stuff. And it is just masterful. It's absolutely beautiful work. Yeah, absolutely. And what was nice was again, like it was, it's that brilliant, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that beautiful meld of you know, traditional analog techniques and digital because mm-hmm. he sketches out everything on paper mm-hmm. and then he'll transfer it over to digital to compile, um, which I think is, and, and the, the, the hours and hours, and I mean, w- looking at that album cover, what is it? It, it represents three, 400 hours worth of work. Oh probably. my God. It's, it's insane how much work. Every bit of that. Yeah. yeah. Every and then to reproduce it on glass, forget it. Well, and that's the other thing is he's producing, because I heard an interview with John Mayer, and obviously he brought out vinyl um, editions of this, but he's like, it's such a shame that in our era of Spotify, where everything's a thumbnail, album art is becoming dumbed down and more and more stupid because it's seen on a tiny, tiny scale. It needs to be, it needs to work as a thumbnail. So you don't get the beautiful (laughs) artwork of of, 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 of a record sleeve, which was, you know, infinitely bigger than that. So mm-hmm. he's like, I want to go back to that, where we're going to put stuff in this album cover that if you have the vinyl in front of you, you're going to be able to look close and notice what we did. You'll never see it on Spotify. You'll yeah. never notice how much work went into this and all the layers in it. But if you get this big and look at it at proper size, it'll blow you away. What, can you remember one, one of the first record covers that sticks in your mind? Is there one for you? Yeah, probably, uh, probably Thriller. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but it's not a great album cover. Yeah. But it, it's probably the first album cover I like remember that, that I connected with. It wasn't my parents' music. It was my music. Yeah. You know, that I cared about. Um, I mean, so what is that? 80s somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was probably Thriller. For you? I would go um, Cheap Trick at Budokan. Mm. The <laughs> cool. double album. Uh, I, God, I must've been, was it fifth grade, maybe six, nah, fifth or sixth grade. My, my friend, Steve Strickland, it was his brother's record mm. and his brother had a turntable and we went over to his house after school one day and he put on, you know, surrender, uh, listening to cheap trick. And I was like, oh man, rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Edgy. <laughs> yeah, man. I can imagine you jumping around the room playing a guitar. Oh my gosh. Oh, you know, you know, what was another, re- now that I'm thinking about it, another record that I, it's, this is going to come out of left field, but I, I remember like 
drawing this record cover, trying to get it right, mm. was um, uh, the Destroyer record by Kiss. Do you remember that? Where it was like the painting of all four of them, like all like, ah, like coming over the top of the horizon. It, look this up. Kiss Destroyer. I'm it now, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you yeah, remember yeah. that oh when they're gosh, all in yeah. the makeup? Yeah. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. I remember trying to draw that as a kid. Like, oh, I'm so edgy, you know? Oh, it's so great. Glam rock at its best. Yeah, man. yeah, 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 yeah. It's so good. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. Uh, and it's all yeah. illustrated. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny. I, several years back when I was, this is not long after I got here. Um, I met an artist named Say Adams. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you look up Say, uh, Say was, well, still is an amazing visual artist. He was one of the founders of Def Jam Records. Um, you know, was tight with, with Russell Simmons and, and, you know, uh, the, the Beastie Boys and, and, you know, all this stuff. And I, I met him at an event for the African American History Museum and we got on really well. And we've talked a couple of times on the phone and, and he was saying that, like, he, he said, I remember having this conversation in the control room. It was me and Chuck D were sitting there talking about creating album covers for this new then new art form known as hip hop. Mm -hmm. Well, and they were talking about influences that the same influences that you and I talk about, the same influences that, that anybody who's ever picked up a camera or a paintbrush has talked about. And they were applying it in such a different way. He's like, we were, we were convinced that we were making art. We were changing the visual narrative. We were, we were creating a visual language for this music that didn't have one yet. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was so cool. And I've never forgotten that conversation because I, I, what, a, what an amazing opportunity to be at the forefront of something, creating something that's never been done before. And at that point, it really hadn't been done before. And I just, mm. I don't know, I've always remembered that. And he was so generous with his time. And it was just, you know, you, you have this image of, of some of these people, uh, some of these other artists or musicians or whatever. And here are these two guys just talking about art while they're making, yeah. you know, whatever record they were making. And I just thought that yeah. was so cool. So go check out Say Adams too. I'll put that. I'm looking at him now. Really cool stuff. Really like collage-y. Yeah. His own visual work is incredible. I'm looking at him like, reproducing you know pan am logos and coke logos and stuff, it's beautiful like in collage it's amazing shell yeah. pepsicola really yeah. cool absolutely wow. beautiful and and if you look if you look deeply at the collage that the, the collage material is chosen very purposefully for the piece mm. it's not it's not random there there's a message you know he's been very inspirational in my own work the mm. deeper you look at his work there is a message there. There is a narrative there if you look for it. It's not just, and that's, I think, kind of the brilliance of his work is he's taking, he's taking these pop logos that, that we know, you know, Coca-Cola, Bazooka Gum, uh, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, Pan Am, you know, mm -hmm. and, he's, and he's creating his versions of them. But if you look closer, there's a message there. There's something going on below the surface. And I think that's so cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I can see why this connects with you and your work. It's really Oh, I cool. love it. I love it. I love it. And have, you so, ever, have you ever thought about doing, I mean, cause it's funny with the, with, with the, the kind of square format conversation and album mm -hmm. cover stuff. I mean, I could see your stuff. In fact, you've already made pieces to me that look like vinyl covers. <laughs> there are a couple. Yeah. There are a couple. The, yeah. the, do you think that, do you think like your love of that sort of design has crept into your artwork? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would, 
I would love to either be commissioned or, you know, somebody sees a piece that works for a project. I, I would happily be a part of that yeah. process. I absolutely happily be a part of that because Jacob? we, we grew up on that. And in fact, I, you know, we're not that far off in, in terms of age. You know, I am so grateful that, that I was born when I was because I got to see that transition. I got to see that transition from vinyl to cassette to CD to digital. So mm. there's a, there's a point of reference that people of my, our age group have that, you know, for example, Sylvia, who's 15, she doesn't have that point of reference. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the, the iPhone 8 is the lamest piece of hardware she will ever know, you know, yeah. whereas, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was a great piece of hardware, you know, so yeah. this, this idea of, of vinyl and the art, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't resonate with her. You know, her, her experience as a 15 year old, and a lot of people have this same experience. She's a big fan of K-pop, for example. Yeah. And uh, some of these bands have produced like limited edition CD box sets and it comes with a little book and a poster and stickers and all this kind of stuff. The merchandising around it is phenomenal. Oh, that's cool. And here's, here's the genius part, Sean. Here's the genius part. They, they, they come with like trading cards for the band members, uh -huh. but you never know which one you're going to get. So you've got these, these, these fans buying multiple <laughs> copies of the same thing just so they can wow. get all of the cards. It's going to be a massive eBay market. For this <laughs> stuff. Right. It's genius. But yeah. that's her, you know, and, and I'm grateful that, that that kind of thing is coming back. And, and it yeah. seems to be coming back more so in, in K-pop than it does in, you know, sort of mainstream. Yeah. I mean, yes, there are album, you know, vinyl reissues and things like that. But these are, these are full-blown. Look at like BTS or... Oh gosh, what, I'm I'm gonna butcher it, and she's gonna listen to this and go. Ugh. <laughs> anyway, there's there there are a bunch of them yeah. that that produce these really beautiful, well designed, well produced. Some of the production is is a little off because they're you know they're they're just trying to get these things out, and there are so many fans that I would imagine corners have to be cut production wise. But that's her, she's at least getting to experience um, a visual representation of the band the way we did with albums. It's a different expression, but there is, there is a correlation. There is a, a, a parallel in there somewhere. And I think that's kind of amazing, but I would love to be involved with, you know, an album project. That'd be amazing. So Trent Reznor, you know, if you're listening and you need a new Nine Inch Nails record cover, I'm man, happy to I could it. see you doing something like that. Good grief, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that'd be so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I, I think it's kind of an unsung art form, album art, to be honest with you. I do. Yeah, I do. I think people, everyone thinks they can do it as well. Well, lots of people think it's probably not that difficult, but whether, whether you go the design route or the photography route, it has to be such a clean concept to work well. And like, like has to have a very singular kind of the bet, the best photographs, you know, are the ones that like are very, very simply done. There's nothing fancy about them. you know. Mm -hmm. And doing something new is hard. You know, I mean, look at movie posters. That's another area where like, movie posters have gotten so generic with, you know, key art of the, of the stars and, you know, lit very dramatically and looking over their shoulder, like all that kind of stuff. It's like, mm, do something different. There's literally a website, I can't remember what it's called, but somewhere where they basically just stack up movie posters one after the other. And you can see, you know, these 10 look exactly like each other. Oh, really? It's, oh, absolutely. It's, it's, um, you know, the whole, 
after this new round of Star Wars movies and J.J. Abrams brought, brought back in kind of the the uh, the the orangey red highlights and the blue rim lights, like mm. uh, with with a bunch of people together in the frame on a on a spacey background or something, was like the number of films that just went okay, that's what we're doing now, and just copied it. Ugh. Like there's a lot of the Star Trek posters. It's very if you look at them at a glance, you're like, oh, Star Wars. Oh no, wait, Star Trek. Oh, it doesn't matter because it's all the same. Yeah. They just copied each other, and it's all the same stuff. Space conflict no to be original. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you're in trouble with Trekkies because you called Star Trek Star right, Wars right, and they're right, chasing right. you down the street. I'm like it's not my fault. All the posters look the same. <laughs> like, who who are more yeah. vehemently protective of their of their interest or their property street photographers or star trek fans um i reckon i reckon <laughs> star trek fans until you get to the fuji street photographers <laughs> <laughs> then all bets are off <laughs> then you never know you're taking oh. your life into your hands <laughs> <laughs> they swear by classic chrome like like trekkies swear by William Shatner. (laughs) 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 Subscribe to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything in your favorite podcast app and support the show by leaving a review or a rating wherever you listen or by sharing the episode on social media. You can help support what I do more directly by tapping the donate button at jeffreysadoris.com. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S.com. And to those of you who have done just that, thank you very much. It really does help. Connect with Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Tuck. That's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K. On his website at seantucker.photography or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey Sidoris. And you can connect with both of us by sending an email or a voice message to deepnatter at gmail.com. As always, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your attention. We appreciate your time and we hope you'll come back for the next one. Did I call yeah. into a radio station? What did I win? Hey. 94.7, Jeffrey Sidoris. <laughs> You're listening to Drive Time. This is Adele. <laughs> oh, <wee. laughs> oh, classic. <laughs>